This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Here we are. Use your legs, rest a while. All you gotta do is smile. We're swell, can't you tell? When the show begins, you better hold on real tight. Or before you know it, you'll be high as a kite. Take a break, settle down. We're the only show in town. SRO, don't you know you got mail? Give it up, don't think twice. We're a hurricane on ice. What the hell? Give a yell, ring your bell, show and tell. Mademoiselle, give a smell, you got mail. You've got mail. Get it, chaps. Once is enough. And Mel has mail. That is to say, <laughs> Melissa Stoller. Okay, I'm stopping share now so people won't see all my garbage on my <laughs> computer, but they did already. Um, so, Melissa, it's wonderful to have you. I'm always delighted to host children book writers. So how did that happen and start at the beginning? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Mel. I love your show and I'm really happy to be here. So, okay, the beginning, let's start at the beginning. Um, I come from a family of storytellers and that's probably the most important thing. And that's probably the biggest inspiration for me becoming a storyteller. Um, my grandmother, Jessie, my Nana told amazing stories about her life growing up in New York city in the 19, early 1900s. And she, no matter how many times I heard the story, I would basically say, you know, Nana, tell it again, you know, again and again, I just love them. And they were full of adventure and surprise and, um, you know, elements of New York City architecture and the streets and the people and just all kinds of things going on. So I really like to hear her stories. And then my parents also told me amazing stories. Um, uh, we lived on Long Island. I grew up on Long Island and my parents are both from New York City and um, we lived on the water in a town called Merrick. And my parents made up these elaborate stories of all these characters, um, birds and squirrels and ducks and Someday I have to write that story because I just haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to do it. But I really hold on. You're you're getting ahead of me here. Getting ahead of me. So uh, your Nana, where did she grow up in New York? 
She grew up um, on uh, Dykeman Street. I think she was born in Brooklyn, but then she, when she was married, she lived on Dykeman Street, which is near the Cloisters. I don't know if you've been to the Cloisters, but it's a beautiful um, part of the Metropolitan Museum of Art that features medieval art. So my mom actually grew up in their apartment, you know, in her apartment right across the street from the Cloisters. And my mom was actually is actually a great okay, storyteller your, too. Your, your 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 grandmother grew up across from the Metropolitan Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art. From the um, the a branch of it called the Cloisters, which is ah. um, north in uh, I'm trying to think of exactly uh, where it's like northern Manhattan at the northernmost tip of Manhattan. Ah, so you weren't on the Lower East Side or something. No, I think my grandmother was born in Brooklyn, and then her family at some point moved to a very tip tip top of Manhattan. But we, we should be publishing her stories also. Well, we did, and I'm happy to talk about it whenever you want. Um, one of my first book actually is called The Enchanted Snow Globe Collection, Return to Coney Island. And it's a chapter book. It's a time travel adventure chapter book. And I have a picture of my grandparents in the book because um, this is a story that my grandmother told me so many times, and I always loved it. It was about how she um, went to Coney Island all the time. Uh, Coney Island is, for those who don't know, it's an amusement park and a beach at the um, in Brooklyn at the tip of the lower tip of, Manha of New York City, the borough of Manhattan. So my Nana went to Coney Island all the time with her family and her sisters. And on one occasion, she met a handsome stranger on a trolley. And in those days, I think you talked to strangers and he wasn't giving her any attention. So she opened peanuts. They used to sell peanuts on the trolley in those days. And she cracked open the peanuts and she threw the shells on his lap. She was very brazen in those days. And um, he, he responded and they started talking. And she asked if he would come to her home for dinner with her family. And he said, no, no, I don't have a proper shirt. I, you know, I don't have the right clothes. And she said, oh, you can borrow my father's shirt. And that's what you did in those days. So he said, okay. And he got dressed at her home and they got married six months later. And they were married, you know, for a very long time. So I love that story. And I wrote about it in Return to Coney Island. And I put a picture of my grandparents in the back. Um, and the story is basically, here's a picture you can see. My, so that's a, kind of a nice picture from the 20s. You can see the 1920s costumes, outfits. Um, and the story is about nine-year-old twins who go to their, their grandmother's house for a sleepover in New York City. I use New York City all, a lot as a character in my stories. And they go on the sleepover and they shake a snow globe from her big collection. And they're immediately transported back in time to 1928 Coney Island. And they realize soon that they're meeting their, uh, their great-grandmother, uh, their great-grandmother, Jesse, and they realize they have to help her meet this handsome stranger on the trolley, otherwise they won't be born. So I was inspired the by- The handsome stranger is Jack. The handsome stranger is Jack, exactly. A, a Jewish boy? Yeah, yeah, they're Jewish in the story, right? I'm Jewish and I'll, I'll tell you- no because, no, because you know she threw the, the peanuts on the lap of a stranger. Yeah. His name yeah. might've been Jack Sullivan. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's true. It happens to be that his, their real last name was Mandel. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with it, but back in the day, it could have been, it could have been anybody because Brooklyn and New York City, as we know, was a huge melting pot. So it could have been anybody. But in this okay. case, it was Jack Mandel. Okay, and now we're going to fast forward to you. 
Okay, so, and I just wanna tell you one thing about else about that book is that I used um, my love of collecting. I collect snow globes and this one is from Coney Island. So I needed a way for the twins in the book to get back in time. And I decided that they would shake the snow globe and get back, get back in time. So I always tell kids when I'm doing school visits to use something in your own life to prompt you to write. Like in my life, it was a collection that I had and my grandparents' stories and photos that really helped me put the story together. It's also a good tip for people starting out in the adventure to write children's books. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 uh, and I, want to, I want to address, I want to get your best tips for writing while I, have you, while I have you on the show. Fantastic. Okay, so um, you grew up in Stony Brook. Um, uh, a, a town called Merrick on Long uh, Island. Not Stony Brook, Long Island. I, we, Long I like Island, Stony I would think of Stony Brook. Yeah, no, I like Stony Brook, that's a nice town. <laughs> but it's not close to Merrick. It's not far, about uh, 40 minutes or so. so that, that's the part of Long Island that I like. Mm -hmm. Really pretty, very pretty. Yeah. yeah, and very suburban. Yes, and we grew up near the beach. So my whole life was basically spent at the beach. I could, I could, it was a long ride, but I could ride my bicycle to the beach. But basically, my summers were spent uh, on the water, on a, either on a boat uh, or at the beach with my family and friends. So it was, it was a nice, a lovely childhood of, of uh, nice and fun adventures. What, no trauma, no angst? <laughs> I mean, everyone, everyone has trauma and angst, for sure. Uh, but I could say that I had a very nice childhood. I did. My parents, my father was a lawyer. My mom uh, is a retired. My father passed away when I was 18. So that, there was some trauma and angst there. But until, the, until then, it was very happy um, and wonderful. Um, and my mom is, lives across the street from me in New York City, which is wonderful. And she's uh, my first and best editor. And, and she loves to read all my manuscripts, which is amazing. And she's a retired school teacher. So my house was always filled with either like legal discussions from my dad or teaching discussions from my mom. It was like we had a lot of books. We had a lot of discussions. We went to museums. We went to concerts. Like they love to instill culture in my family. And I have a younger brother. I, 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 I love your mom already. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. <laughs> can you tell her? Can you can you phone her to come over? I wish I could. I ah. not during. You know what? We're being so careful during ah, pandemic right. times. We meet I, outside. I forgot that you have COVID in New York too. I know. Uh, I thought just I in New York. Um, but you but, know what? I'll tell you one thing about my mom. She came after my oldest daughter's bat mitzvah in 2009. We brought the whole mishpucha, the whole family, to Israel. My mom came with us and my in-laws, uh, and we had the most amazing time. So I've been to Israel three times, and next time I visit, I'm going to visit you, Mel, for sure. Absolutely. And likewise, when I come to New York, but probably I'm going to visit your mother first. <laughs> she would love it. She would yeah, love because it. I, I tell her that there's another person who writes, uh, whose name is also Mel, who also loves critiques from, from, from people's mums. Why not? Why not? And okay. she's a volunteer at the Central Park Zoo, so I think a lot of my stories also have animals in them because I love animals, as you know, probably from my family loving animals. She's a volunteer at the Central Park Zoo? Yeah, yeah, they have. As, as in Madagascar? Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. I have to meet her. 100%. <laughs> I'll buy her peanuts. <laughs> she would love it because it's her parents. Her parents are Jesse and Jack. So she would exactly. have a lot to talk to you about. Wow. And I named, I named my middle daughter Jesse after my grandmother. So you can, you can meet the whole group. No, no, ask your mom if she wants to be on my show. Let's. <laughs> okay. So 
we're going to discover your your five-year-old trauma soon uh but before because this is my theory i know if you write for five-year-olds you're stuck at five um you're not forthcoming so continue <laughs> as a as a schoolgirl, Melissa. Okay. So right, as a schoolgirl, I I loved writing. I had a diary. Um, I wrote letters. I wrote postcards to people. I had a lot of pen pals growing up. I had pen pals in all different countries, and I actually met a pen pal uh, from Sweden. I had pen pals in France, um, England, but I and I met a few of them on my travels, which was great. So I really always loved writing. And I became, um, I, I decided to become a lawyer, uh, probably because my father was a lawyer. So I knew about that. Um, but I really liked researching, writing, analyzing. I loved studying law. I actually met my husband in law school. So that was exciting. That was great. Did, did he throw um, peanuts at you? He didn't, but we met in the library of the law school. So it was a good romantic, similar kind of story. Um, it's a good story. Um, so I really, I liked law school. I liked studying law. I worked for a large law, for, law firm for a couple of years. And then I taught in two different um, law schools in the legal writing program of those law schools. And um, I was a career counselor in a law school and I helped uh, you know, students in law school figure out their career paths. Um, and what I realized that I loved most about the law was the research, the writing, the an analysis, and the communication. So when my first daughter was uh, was born, she's 24 now, um, I left my job and I stayed home with her and I decided to try writing children's books. So wow. this, was a long, this was a long time ago. I joined SCBWI, the Society for Children's Book Writers. Well, well, second, we're, gonna, we're just going to, because you started talking about your brother. Oh, Okay. I, I'm sorry that I have to remind you, but we're, mo we're moving back. Yeah, no, I was just saying I have um, my brother. I'm very close to and he's seven years, seven years younger than I am. And uh, we got into just a lot of adventures, a lot of fun times, a lot of family fun times that um, hopefully I instill a lot of that fun and curiosity and wonder. I think I was always a curious kid. I liked uh, like flipping rocks over and finding salamanders or frogs or snakes. I, I really wouldn't like that now, but as a kid, I, li I like that. Um, now I would run. But um, as a kid, I enjoyed and I was curious about a lot of things. And I, I just always liked being outdoors um, and exploring. So I think I put a lot of that into, into my writing. And, and, you, and it, you loved your legal career and you just stopped cold when your daughter was born. I stopped, but I... I um, Tried, I, push, I pushed it in a different direction. So I got into writing parenting articles. Um, I wrote for a lot of um, local publications about parenting, about children's health. I did a lot of book reviews, movie reviews, show reviews. I talked about traveling like, with children and traveling with you know, family. Um, so I, I did a lot of writing and I did a lot of editing for a few New York City centric books. So you, so you um, were blogging before there were blogs. I was doing some blogging, but mostly, right. I was mostly writing, you know, I was mostly writing print articles. Um, and I really liked that. And it was something I could do at home. I have three children, you know, my first, I have three daughters. So I could do all this writing work at home while I was raising and growing my family. So that was really fantastic and worked really well for me. Um, and, but I just wanted to, I always like to tell people, I started trying to write for children, you know, 24 years ago, I joined SCBWI. My card says that I joined in 1997. I mean, it sounds so long ago. And I had so many rejections at the beginning. Like I had, and this was, you know, before you could even just press send on email, I used to just mail, mail, 
you know, the stories in with return postcards. Um, and I have so many of those postcards. I kept a lot of them just to kind of remind me of the beginning. But I always tell people, and I especially tell students when I'm doing school visits, it's a long process. You know, writing is a long process, but, but most many things that you're trying to do that are worthwhile, that you really believe in could take a long time. And I like to tell that to students to remind them, like you can pursue your dreams. Um, and even you could pursue one dream like I did of being a lawyer, and then that dream could morph and change into something else, like being a writer. So I like to tell people, especially kids, that life is fluid and not, not always linear and like pursue your dreams, even if they're different dreams along the way. And it might take a long time. Um, it might, and it took so me a long time. People who uh, are watching but aren't in the children's writing business. Um, so SCBWI stands for? The Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. So if you go to scbwi.org, it's an amazing, amazing resource for writers and illustrators. And they, they hold conferences usually in person, although this year in, uh, the, the main one in, uh, will be online. Um, but it's, you know what, a silver lining to everything being online now is that people from all over the world can attend from home. So it gives a lot of more, more people access to these amazing conferences. They have conferences, each state often hosts their conferences. Um, I volunteer with them in New York to um, co-chair um, uh, the writing, like it's a writing group where we meet uh, several times during a week or several times during a month and we go to a coffee shop and we write and we just set a timer and we write for 20 minutes and then we talk about the industry for 10, 20 minutes and then we write again and we do that for two hours several times a month. Um, and there's just lots of opportunities with that group to find critique groups, which are so important to find your people. Um, so I joined that group in 1997 and I got a lot of rejections and I put that aside and I started writing uh, for you know, magazines about parenting. And then I co-wrote a book uh, with a friend about organizing a parent-child book club. Uh, I'm still in a book club. Actually, I have my book club meeting tonight with my friends. This is our 21st year of our adult book club. So it's wow. great. Most, mostly the, some people have come and go, but it's mostly the same core group. Um, we meet once a month. And I started a kid's book club with a friend with our children. And then we said, why, why not write a book about it? So we wrote a parenting resource book um, and then over time, as my kids got older, I said, you know what, I, I'm not done with that dream of writing for kids. Like, I want to dust it off and bring it back out again. So I think it was about five or six years ago um, that I dusted it off. I had always gone to the SCBWI conferences and I kept up with them. I just hadn't been writing anymore. Um, but I thought about what I wanted to write. And that's when I wrote Return to Coney Island. That was my first published book. Um, and it's published by Clear Fork Publishing. Um, okay, so, yeah. so one thing, so, so hold on. Most yeah. people don't realize, uh, because we're talking to all kinds of people, not all of them are writers, sure. that um, you can do one of two things. You can, well, three of things. You can publish yourself, uh, which is probably not advisable. Mm -hmm. I've done it, and it's not good. Uh, and then you can submit directly to publishers. Uh, and probably the best route is to find an agent who then goes to the big publishers and tries to interest them. Right. Uh, and when you're talking about being rejected, you're talking about being rejected from agents or from publishing houses? From, from both. Um, I pursued you know, this dual line of sending to agents and sending to publishers, mostly the small publishers who accept unsolicited submissions where you don't need an, an agent. Um, so I had rejections from everybody. <laughs> um, and until finally in 20, 
2015, I guess I started back up again, you know, 2014. So in, in 2015, I submitted, um, I actually submitted a story that's still not published. It was about a squirrel in Central Park. And I was submitting it to a wide range of publishers and agents. And I, I heard from a few different friends who had been published with Clear Fork Publishing that they accepted unsolicited submissions. So I didn't need an agent. And I sent them that squirrel story. And um, the editor, Callie Mettler, wrote back and said, well, I, I, and I, oh, and in my, um, I forgot to say in my query letter, I said, I have a squirrel story. And I also have a time travel adventure story that I'm still working on. I just kind of put through it in there, which I don't, didn't always, but I did on this case. And the editor wrote back to say, well, I'd like to see your squirrel story, but I'm really interested in your time travel adventure story. And she ended up buying the time travel adventure story, which was the Enchanted Snow Globe. And she didn't buy the squirrel story. So that's still sitting on my computer. And maybe someday- You know, squirrels, squirrels hibernate in the winter. So maybe they'll, it'll pop up again sometime and have new life. It might. So, it, so this, uh, these publishing houses, the Clear Fork and Blue Whale, Mm -hmm. uh, are small publishers in Texas. Correct. Correct. Um, do, do, they, do they pay advances? Do they market the book? Do they send them to bookstores? Um, I'm, really, I'm really confused because I'm interviewing a lot of people mm -hmm. and all of them are publishing with this small publisher and I'm trying to figure out how it works. Um, right. it's, it's, it's really much better than publishing yourself. Is it like publishing with a major publisher? Well, I think, I mean, nothing is quite like publishing with a major publisher because a major publisher is in a class of its own. Um, but I have to say that Clear Fork has been amazing. It, it happens that I went to Texas for a conference um, in 2017 and I met Callie and I met Elaine, um, who is the editor of, of Blue Whale, um, Elaine K. Christian. Um, and I met other people, Elaine, um, Ellen Leventhal, who's been on your show and, and who um, kindly introduced us. And um, that was fantastic because I got to know them and I, and I really got to understand. And, what I want to thank you, Elaine. And then thank you, Vivian. Oh, yeah, Vivian. It's, thank you, course. Lydia. And yeah, all of I, these people have, have published books in a Blue Whale or Clear Fork. I don't think Vivian, Vivian has not, but she's an amazing cheerleader and she, um, she, I don't think she has, but she, and she oh, has amazing, but a lot of amazing books coming out these few years. But Lydia and I watched your interview with Lydia, and I watched your interview with Vivian, and they're they're dear friends also. Um, so it was great. It was so great to meet these people in person. And I've actually met Vivian in person also because we spent a day in New York City at the Metropolitan Museum of Art with a few other writers. Um, and I have to tell you, before we, you know, at some point, wonderful. Uh, how I was inspired to write Scarlet's Magic Paintbrush. I don't know if you want me to tell you that now, but it was through a trip to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is about 10 minutes from my apartment in New York City. I, I live in Manhattan and I went to the Metropolitan Museum, which I go to quite often because I love it. It's like my favorite place in the world. And I was standing in front of a Monet painting, my favorite impressionist. And I just like out of the blue thought to myself, what if I had a magic paintbrush and I could paint like Monet? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Because like, you know, I love, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Paris and I love seeing all the impressionists and I just have always admired them. And then I thought, well, what if I had that magic paintbrush and then I lost it? You know, then what would happen? Um, and that's how I wrote the story, Scarlet's Magic Paintbrush. And Sandy Sanki illustrated this. And I'll just, I'll show you the first couple of pages. She's an amazing illustrator. And um, we're coming out with 
a sequel called Return of the Magic Return. Paintbrush. Yes, I saw. Return of the Magic Paintbrush. So that should be out in 2021. And I love, I just love everything about this, about this book. And it's just a story of creativity and girl power and finding your own voice and finding your own creativity. And also another theme is it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can just be like your masterpiece. It can be your own creativity. Oh, and I, I love this picture where Scarlett's doing a hand, headstand and the dog is doing a headstand. So Sandy put this dog throughout, which is a really cute secondary storyline. Um, and Scarlett and the brush, you know, were at odds a little bit at the end of this book because the brush wanted everything to be perfect and Scarlett wanted to do it her way. So in the second book, readers will see them, how they, how they kind of come back together and, and they'll see um, their true enduring friendship. Um, so that was, that was fun. And I wanted, I just, like, I always like to tell students when I'm doing school visits, you can find ideas anywhere. I mean, I found this idea at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, I found an idea for another picture book, Ready, Set, Gorilla, uh, because I was standing in New York City and I was in, I think I was in Times Square. And well, I was what happens in this book? What happens in this book, Melissa? Sure. Well, th this one's about a gorilla and he loves to race with his friends, but he likes to win at any cost. So instead of saying, ready, set, go, he says, ready, set, gorilla. And he, and he kind of cheats. He's kind of, he's very cute, but he kind of cheats. Um, until a little friend comes along. I'll show you the, well, this is a great, this is a really cute photo, a uh, cute illustration by Sandy Steen Bartholomew of gorilla racing with penguin. And he totally cheats. He, he like, he stuck at his foot and poor penguin, you know, zooms up into the air, but penguin's fine, don't worry. Um, and, he alienates all his friends because he keeps cheating until his friends keep saying, no, 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 no one's going to race with him anymore. Um, until I love this illustration, this super cute gopher. And I used it on a wordplay with gorilla and gopher. This gopher comes to town and he says, you know, want to race? Sure do. Really? Let's go. And then gopher does, well, this is so, this is cute. Don't gopher. They start to race and gopher, they crack there knuckles and gopher does a little bit of cheating on his own um so the two of them are cheating until a cheetah comes to town and then you kind of have to see what happens the cheetah you know kind of beats them at their own game in a way um and you kind of have to see what happens and it's a story about friendship as long as, the cheetah, as long as the cheetah doesn't eat them at their own game no the cheetah definitely doesn't eat and at the end you know no you worries need, you need a sequel melissa you need a sequel I'd like to maybe do a sequel, but at the end, they're all playing, you know, happily together with all the animals. They all come back and play happily together. So it's a it's a good story about friendship and good sportsmanship and how to play fair with your friends and how to say you're sorry. Because you know what? It's really hard to say you're sorry for adults and for kids. So I think this is a good way to get kids into like knowing what's the value of saying you're sorry. Um, so th those are two. And then do you want to hear about my latest one? Uh, yeah, but before that, so... Uh, so you're publishing now with this publishing house. Yeah. And are you trying to find a, an agent? Yes, I am still. I am trying to find an agent. And I send out so many queries. It takes so much time to send out queries, as we all know, um, just to do a lot of research on agents and to, and to read their blogs and to go onto Twitter and follow them. And I go to a lot of conferences now all online. And I, I, um, I take a lot of classes. I'm really involved in the Children's Book Academy class um, where I'm an assistant in the class. And I just participated in the picture book Palooza. I presented on um, writing 
from fiction, uh, uh, my presentation was like, we are all storytellers. And that was really a fun and exciting. Uh, Mira Reisberg is the director of the Children's Book Academy. And she actually is also an editor and art director at Clear Fork Publishing. So she put me together with all these amazing illustrators. So that was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely looking for an agent though. Um, and I think that's the next step in my career. It's the next logical step. So I'm sending out queries and I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Um, to, to, to yeah. find an agent and to publish with a big publisher. Yeah, I think, you know, I would love to do that. Absolutely. So I'm trying. Okay. Um, so uh, no process, yeah. but I'm working it. So that's a, that's a, and, and, and um, so I want to share with you what Julie Headland said on the show. Uh, I watched some of her. I watched some of her uh, interview. It was fantastic. And I'm in 12 by 12. I'm in that group, as you know, also, and it's fantastic. I left 12 by 12 because I, my, my goal is not to write more stories, it's to write less stories. Okay. I write many more stories than one a month. So that's, <laughs> I, I love Julie, but that's not one club okay. I need. Okay. I need like, you know, the only 12 by 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, but like you, you know, we're on a quest um, yeah. to, to be better writers, uh, to have better craft, and, and you can only be as good as you can. And, uh, and then you have to uh, be one of the uh, one out of a thousand or 10,000 uh, lucky people who finds a, uh, a, an agent at the moment that the agent is looking for something that you happen to have, have written. Correct. Um, and uh, so I, I applaud you on this journey, uh, but it is a Sisyphic, Sisyphic journey. So now I want to take you back because you write for young children. What age group? Um, my picture books are usually four to eight, and then my chapter book is six to nine. So, okay. yeah. So, you know, you know what I'm going to ask? I'm going to ask about my theory. <laughs> I you do. Know my I have, you know my I, theory. I do. That there's some, that people have some kind of, you know, trauma or they're, they're kind of stuck at the age of five. And that's, they're, they're writing for that self. So, I, I, I understand your theory. And I think that can hold. I think that's a really good theory. I'll tell you, like, I'll, I'll just pivot a little bit from the theory and say, you can, you know, you can write also, like, I feel like I'm writing for my five or seven or eight year old mm -hmm. self um, in, in an optimistic and happy way. Um, because I think we, I think as authors, you're right in, in that we do write for ourselves in a lot of ways. Like we write for the child that maybe we were at that time. Maybe we wanted to find a book about, um, like from, you know, a Jewish story or a, sto a story that is fits to our own heritage or culture. And maybe we didn't see that when we were growing up, or maybe, you know, we loved animals. Um, and, I, and we wanted to write a book about animals because we just loved that so much. Like when I think back on some of the books I like, I do realize that I, that I liked as a child, like I'll give you some of my favorites and I'll tell you some of my writing now corresponds. Like I loved from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler. Like I, I read that story a hundred times to myself and now to my kids. And, and I love the Metropolitan Museum, as I talked about. I wish I could do a sleepover in that museum um, <laughs> like those kids. But I have done um, a sleepover like at least four times in the Museum of Natural History in New York City with my youngest daughter. So that was pretty close. Um, and I wish I wrote the book Night at the Museum. Like that, that's a great one. But I loved books about adventure. I loved Make Way for Ducklings. I loved Are You My Mother? I loved anything by Judy Bloom, anything by Beverly Cleary, the Nancy Drew books, um, The Secret Garden, you know, like those types of books. And I realized when I think back on it, um, those are types of stories that I like to write. So I think 
you know, and I loved like TV shows, the Brady Bunch, the Partridge Family, Happy Days. That was like when I was growing up and they, you know, like family stories, um, family adventure. Those are types of stories that I like to write also. Uh, mysteries I'm getting into now. I'm trying to write a Hanukkah mystery story, a chapter book. Hanukkah mystery. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm in the midst of it. So hopefully you'll hear more about that some, at some point. The missing uh, cradle. Uh, well, you know, along those lines, something along those lines. So I, I like to write what kinds of books I like to read, I think, as a kid. So I, I think your theory is true. Like whatever was in your life, maybe as a child, maybe that's how you express that's how you express yourself because we all have to kind of be kids as writers because we have to get into the mindset of kids. Um, and it's, you know, I, I do have three kids. My youngest is 15, so she's not little anymore, but I still have, you know, memories of when they were little. I have little nieces and nephews, um, ne nephews um, and little cousins. And, you know, I, I like to, when I walk around New York, I often have a pen with me and a paper and I write down snippets of conversations at the park, at the playground, that, at the restaurants, I eavesdrop. That's such good advice. I do. I always either write on a piece of paper, like I carry a little pad, or I write on my phone because you can always take out your phone and not look. Yeah, you, you know, see, you're, you're much younger than me. So, I, like, people my age forget that they have phones in their pockets. Right, right. I write on my phone. You can, like, dictate on your phone if and, I see something. Know, I had an idea for a story, like, two months ago. And, you know, it was such a great idea. And I said, okay, this is, a, I don't have to write this down. Oh, yeah. Not good. What happened? Yeah, that's the worst. No, I write everything down. I'm a list maker in my life in general. I write, I have a list for what I have to do today because if I don't write something down, I'll really forget it. So I'm a big list maker anyway. But I have idea notebooks that I've had for years and at least once a month, I would say I go back and I flip through my idea notebooks because you never know what's in there. Sometimes I totally forget an idea that I had from last year and, and then you can either like resuscitate it or maybe you can mash it up with some other idea you had floating around. So I, I write them down, but then I actually go back and refer to them. <laughs> and you sometimes realize, I was like, oh, I, I had that idea last year. That actually is interesting. Like now maybe is the time for it. Or now maybe like a spark of imagination came to me that I, that I could think of about how I want to write it out. But sometimes so, you have an idea, but you don't know how to you know, write it out. So I'm always talking to, uh, to people at the beginning of their voyage. Uh, the, only, the only writers I can teach are the ones who are starting out. Mm. Um, and then I find that they become very good and then I have to find more beginners. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what, do you, what do you share? There, there's millions of people who want to write children's books yeah. and they think it's easy. So first of all, it's not easy to write Correct. a good story. Correct. What other pieces of advice do you have for them? Right. Uh, okay, a couple of things and I can break it down into like story ideas and then maybe writing a first draft and then maybe researching. So with story ideas, you know, as we know, you can get story ideas from anywhere. I, I tell people to mind their own life and mind their own family history. Think about their collections, like my snow globe collection. Think about their pets. My dog is a character in one of my books. Think about their family history. Think about their heirlooms. And for Sadie Shabbat stories, which I'll talk about in a minute, I used heirlooms as a prompt. Think about, look at old family photos. And now, especially in the pandemic, it would be really nice to maybe call some older relatives who you don't have a chance to see in person and, and ask them about their life. Like talk about their joys, their hardships, the kind of questions you're asking, Mel, like you're digging, you're digging deep into like all the way back to the beginning. But you can ask that on a Zoom call with an older I, relative. I would, say, I would say I'm doing this for a living, but nobody's paying me. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> right. So, but, but especially now during a pandemic, like interview your relatives, you never know what stories are there and then just observe your world. 
and just look out your window, like no matter where you live, like I'm looking out my window now when I'm talking to you and there are buildings and there are apartments and it's like rear window, the Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I love Alfred Hitchcock. Like you're just looking into people's lives and maybe there's a story there somewhere. So just observe in your world and think about a story idea and then write it down and then go back. As I said, go back and look at all your ideas and maybe put two together. Um, two ideas that wouldn't even necessarily match, put them together. Exactly. Like mash them up and you might have an idea. This is what I've been teaching for years. Mm -hmm. That creative people, what they do is they don't think outside the box. They connect boxes. Yeah. You're connecting the dots. That's to take two things like that don't that. appear that they should be connected. Yeah. That is what makes a good invention, a good story, a good children's book. Bravo. What else? Okay. I think E.M. Forster said only connect, like it's, it's all about connecting. Like my philosophy is connecting with people, connecting stories, just right. We're all, I think as a, as a storyteller, we're trying to connect. We're connecting to readers. We're connecting to other writers. Like that's what we're doing basically. So, so, so for years, yeah. for when, I, when I decided to take this more seriously, uh, there were years when I didn't write, read children's books. Yeah. Uh, because I was afraid that either people had the same idea as me or that I would riff on somebody else's idea. Yeah, I understand that. It's a big mistake, right? It's a big mistake. I read so much in my genre, usually, mostly picture books some, and also chapter books. I read, I try to get my hands on all the new, new picture books. I look at lists of award winners and I read those award winners. I might do an author study like a Vivian Kirkfields. I, you know, I have, and I've read all her books and you can look, you know, these are, these become mentor texts and you learn from them because your story is your own. Like you're, you're not going to, I understand the fear that you don't want to use someone else's story and you don't want to copy an idea or you're not, you don't want to copy a voice, mm -hmm. but you really can't copy someone's voice. Like your voice is your own. And there are lots of ideas at, like there, there, there are lots of ideas, but you, you, the way you tell a story is unique to you. Like we all have to tell our own unique special stories. So you really have to read these mentor texts to learn from people like who, who've, who've done it before like the old like people go to museums and copy old masters they're not they're not going to copy them to learn they're, they're copying them to gain experience and to understand what was done before and then to put their own unique spin in the future on that kind of work um, so yeah you have to read very widely that's a huge tip and study the books sometimes I write out the text of a book of a picture book uh, because they're short, they're under 500 words. So I write out or I, I type out the words and then I, re I look at the words without the pictures just to see how did the author actually formulate those words. Are there word, are there puns? Is there wordplay? Is there alliteration? What are the images? And you can learn a lot by just looking at the words even without the illustrations. Um, so that's a tip. Then I, of course, I always tell people just write a first draft, just get it written. It doesn't have to be right. It just has to be written. Um, and you get it down and then you go back and revise. And for me, I, I write in a lot of drafts, a lot of iterations, and I really also rely on critique partners. And I tell people, find, find your peeps, you know, find your people, find your critique groups. I have lots of different critique groups. I have one critique group just for my Jewish stories. I have a critique group for board books. I have a <laughs> group for chapter books. I have my very valued and trusted, like main group of critique partners that I go to for everything. And not only writing, like we talk about rejections. We talk about how to keep yourself going in the face of rejection, uh, how to keep writing in a pandemic, how to launch a book in a pandemic. So, so Melissa, are we, are, we, are we masochists? It's tough. I mean, you have to have a thick skin because you do get a lot of rejections. Um, but I think if you're a writer, you want to write. Like, that's what you want to do. I, um, I, I, I can't help it. You see, I put it off for so many years. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's like, um, it's like, I wouldn't say it's like a disease, but it's like, it's something that scratch that itches you all the time. Right. 
right. You have ideas, you have stories, and so I can see the story is an itch, and then you scratch it. Does this happen to you that you have this great idea? I have a great idea. I'm oh, I have the best idea. I'm gonna get home, I'm gonna write it out, and then you write your first draft, <laughs> and it sucks. Totally, 100%. My first drafts are never good, never. I, I never had something that was good. And I, I'm the type of person in everything that I write, whether it's a presentation or, or anything, like I work in a lot of drafts. But I just like to get it down on the page um, because for me, getting it down solidifies it in my mind. And it's like the act of writing that gets it, like, gets it down on the page. And then I go back and revise. And that's where the writing happens for me in the revision. Like I just go through so many drafts before I even send it to critique partners. I just keep revising and revising. You could always change either the plot or the, or the structure or the tone, or then like you get into the weeds with each individual word. You can, I can always revise. And I always tell people, here's one more tip. Um, I tell people to put a mission statement, like a pitch at the top of each draft. I do that. I keep a pitch at the top of each of my stories because sometimes you kind of forget what you're writing about and it goes in a different direction and that's fine if it's intentional and then you can change your pitch. But sometimes you realize like, I'm not really saying what I want to say. Like the theme that I thought I was putting in here really isn't in here. And I need to go back and look at my pitch and make sure that I'm on the right track or I'm not writing two stories at once, or I'm not deviating and losing the point. So, you know, if, if you, if you need to change the pitch, of course, like it flows. And sometimes my stories change from the beginning, but I like to keep something at the top of each story. So I know like where I'm going kind of. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to be able to describe your story in one sentence. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't now, know. Now, so now's a good time to, to brag about your, your new stuff. Okay. So I'll tell you about Sadie Shabbat stories, which just came out in October. Um, and the illustrator is Lisa Goldberg. And she is absolutely amazing. She brought her unique vision to this story. And you'll see, I'll show you some pages. So some illustrations. So this story is about Sadie. Um, who loves to bake challah with her grandmother, her Nana, every week. And as they're preparing for Shabbat, which is, as you know, which is the Jewish Sabbath, and you use, it, it's every week, and you use certain ritual objects to help you prepare for Shabbat. So you have a challah bread, and you cover it with a certain challah cover, and you have candlesticks to help you say the blessings, and you have a kiddush cup to either um, use and enjoy with wine or grape juice for the kids. So um, Sadie loves to prepare Shabbat with her grandma, her Nana, and every week, Nana tells her different stories about these ritual objects and how they relate to the relatives, the ancestors in Sadie's life. And every week, uh, Sadie says, Nana, can you tell me the story over and over again? So you see, that's reminiscent of me, how I asked my Nana to tell me stories. So I kind of poured my heart into this one. And through the stories, we learn about Sadie's ancestors. And this story really is special to me. It's like a story of my heart because I used um, anecdotes and vignettes from my own family life to write, the to write the story. So the first story is about my father and it's a true story. And it's about how my father was born in New York in Brooklyn in 1912. And he was a lot older than my mom. He was 20 years older than my mom, by the way. Um, he was a lawyer and um, his, his uh, client was my mom's aunt. My mom was 17 when she met him, or I think 19 maybe, and um, he was her aunt's lawyer. But anyway, so he was born in 1912 and um, his, in Brooklyn and his mother wanted to take him back to meet her parents when he was about one year old in Europe. And the timing was horrible uh, because they went back in 1913 and then they got stuck in Europe for almost 10 years when World War I broke out. His father remained in New York and he and his mom were in um, Europe with his grandparents and they finally made it back on a ship, the Leopoldina, um, back to New York. But he told me this story over and over again about how he lived you know, with his cousins and his grandparents for almost 10 years without his dad. 
So that became one story. And then another story in the, in the book. And then another story that I always heard was the story that my husband's grandfather told about when he was a young boy, he grew up in Russia, in Odessa, um, and he escaped from Russia in about 1916 at the time of programs, violence against Jewish people in Russia. And he couldn't take anything with him. He, he and his younger brother, they were teenagers, came to the America and they never saw their parents again. They came with like a knapsack and a, and a lunch, you know, on a, they took a train and a boat and a, uh, like a wagon ride and they finally made it to America. So these stories like really touched me and stuck with me. And I put them in the context. I, I, it took me a while to figure out how to, how to write them. But I put them in the context of Sadie celebrating Shabbat with her Nana and asking her Nana to tell these stories. So here's the first story. Um, here's the first story. That was my father's story. Um, and I could, you want me to read one little bit of it? It, it of says, course. the year was 19, uh, Nana pulled Sadie close. The year was 1913. When grandpa was a little boy, he and his mother visited his grandparents in Europe. And then the borders closed and they got stuck. For six long years, they couldn't return to New York. Finally, it was safe to leave. Great grandma wrapped her mother's candlesticks in a tablecloth and packed them in a suitcase. For weeks, they rode by wagon, boat, and train. Great grandpa waited patiently at the dock arms wide open in welcome. Now those traveling candlesticks hold our Shabbat candles. And I love this image of Lisa's illustration, which is magnificent of the grandpa waiting with his arms open wide um, for the boat to arrive. And this was, you know, the old, old Europe. And I know that Lisa did a tremendous amount of research about the, the, um, the architecture and the clothes and, and the customs and what people look like. And then her art was inspired by Chagall. So here's Sadie imagining the dancing relatives with the candlesticks, which is so evocative and emotional. And, and, and she just did such an amazing job. Um, and here's the story about um, my husband's grandfather. And I love here how he finally makes it to America. There he is and there's his brother. And there in the lighter tones are the relatives they left behind. So it's really touching. And um, even though I wrote the story, I have to say, <laughs> every time I read the story and read it to the end, like I have tears in my eyes, even though I know it's going to happen. And I wrote it, the, the, just the way Lisa illustrated and the way it all came together was just beautiful. Um, and I'll show you one page that's special. Oh, here's the last story about the hala cover. And it's all the Jewish weddings, you know, that we've all been to um, the grandma giving the bride the hala cover as a wedding gift. Um, and I'll just show you one Chagall inspired page that I really love, which is here, you see, and Lisa put in also a secondary storyline with a dove and a dog. So on each page, the reader can look for the, uh, a cat, I'm sorry, a dove and a cat. So on each page, uh, the reader can look for the dove and the cat. And basically the themes here are family connections and thinking about the heirlooms that you are passed down, like the door, door, generation to generation, what heirlooms are your, in your family. And it's also girl power though, because it's about Sadie, who learns how to tell her own unique stories. And she spends all this time listening to Nana's stories and her greatest wish is to tell stories just like Nana. And I'm not gonna spoil the end, but um, you know, the, my, my theme and my idea was that young girls and, and everybody should be able to use their voice. And I, when I go to schools and I talk to students, I say like, whether your voice is big or small, you know, quiet or loud, whether you express yourself in writing or song or, or got, you know, sports or, or whatever, learn how to use your voice. Um, so I'm really big on that. Kids and, and people like using our voices, like healing the world, making the world a better place, um, but use, use your voice. And that's basically the theme of, of the story. So I'm really so happy um, with the way it came out. And Lisa was just amazing. And I wish you a lot of uh, luck with it. Thank you. Uh, Thank may you. you. 
may you be may be may you be so blessed that the PJ Library takes it on. I know. I love PJ Library. I, I was. It's so funny because once I was on a committee. Well, let's let, let's, let's be hopeful. Them. Let's be hopeful that let's they take hopeful. it. Let's be hopeful. Thank you, Mel. I love. They're a great. They're a great group. So that would so, be amazing. Uh, and so, like, we're nearing the end of this uh, wonderful uh, Mel meets Mel. Mel meets uh, Mel. I love that. And um, and you know, I'm going to ask you about the Beatles. I figured you would. <laughs> and I'm like the worst the singer. I'm actually like the worst. I, I wish I had a magic like song box or something that would make me a good singer. But <laughs> I think maybe that's your next story. <laughs> I know. I always wanted to be a good singer. You can't, you know, you can't get every, you can't be everything. You're, you're, yeah. you're a generation younger than me. Um, so do you like the Beatles? I do. I love the Beatles. I watched that movie yesterday. Did you see that movie? It was really, it was, wasn't it? it was, time. You so know good. that today is the, is the 40th anniversary. I, I know. I saw that of John Lennon. I know I saw that. And it's so, you know, I don't know if you've been to New York and you've seen the Imagine, um, it's like Circle and Strawberry Field, the the mosaic. It's just magnificent. And whenever you go no, there- but every time, mosaic, every time I'm in Central beautiful. Park, I look over to the Dakota buildings. I know. Next time visit this mosaic, because last time I was there, okay. I walk around Central Park a lot and people are there singing his songs and like just, you know, just uh, dedicating their time to singing his songs. It's amazing. It's like a moment of community, but Just I did get imagine this morning. Imagine the Imagine Mosaic. Yeah, and that that movie is incredible because. Incredible. Um, yeah, I loved it, it. it. The the idea of the movie is incredible. incredible. I, the, some of some of the way they do it is a little bit the, but the whole idea. What would the world be like without the Beatles? I know it was it was great. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan, and I knew I kind of knew you were going to ask me this question. Although I hope you're not going to make me sing, but but I but I but I it, but I do have an answer for what I, I really love all the songs. Honestly, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to make you sing, but I am going to persuade you to sing. <laughs> right. I well, one I lo I really love like I love you know I want to hold your hands yesterday like I love I I love so many of their songs, but. One of my favorite songs is Here Comes the Sun. And I thought it was kind of appropriate now as we're getting into winter and the pandemic and like we're hoping to see the sun again. So I, I think that's one of my favorite songs. And I'm, I'm generally an optimistic person. Um, I, I am, I like to laugh. I like to find the good in every, everything and find the good in people. So I'm, I'm giving you Here Comes the Sun. Um, I, I can, I, you, you, you seem like an incredible person and people oh, who write you. stories for children usually are. Thank you. I, I do. I feel like it's the nicest community I've ever met. This kid, the community like you, like you, how generous to be interviewing people and spot, spotlighting, spotlighting oh, us I, and highlighting our well, I'm not generous. I want to learn. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a generosity in that, in learning and teaching. So, but the kid, the community is amazing. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm now going to uh, invoke this magic singing brush <laughs> right <laughs> right oh gosh and i'm going to i'm going to persuade you that singing is your voice will you sing it doesn't with me matter. of true. course i will. will you sing a little it's true i tell people use their own voice so it's true yeah. i'm actually i'm actually writing a a, a story about that so oh, wow. don't tell, any, okay. don't tell anybody I, my lips are sealed i'm not telling a soul my lips are sealed okay. so um here comes the sun you start here comes the sun we're starting Little darling. Okay. A little darling, it's been a cold, long, long, lonely winter. Do, 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 do. Little darling, it feels like years since it's been here. 
Here comes the sun, do 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 do. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Do 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 I would have said that you were singing was beautiful, but you <laughs> sung in key. Your singing oh. is lovely. I don't have to bullshit. Thank you. I appreciate that from Mel to and, Mel. And no, and I didn't sing for 20 years because somebody insulted my singing. I know. I know. And I don't know whether this happened to you. Maybe I should give training courses. I think so, because you kind yeah. of get people to go yeah. out of their box here. No, but you, you, yeah, but you really sang beautifully. Oh, thank you. I'll have to, I'm going to listen to it back and like, oh, but thank you. No, I appreciate it. And I'm going to visit you when I am next in Tel Aviv. It's literally one of my favorite cities. I love it. And, and for some reason, I was on mute when you were singing. So just, you know. You, you um, were, I heard that. I noticed that. I just kept going. <laughs> and, and that's what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. It's like riding a bicycle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Until you figure out that nobody's behind you, you and then you that's fall right. off. That's right. So I stopped. <laughs> it was beautiful. So listen, I'm, I will be delighted when you come visit me in Israel. I'm going. I, I, love have, I have this feeling that I'm going to see you in New York before you see me in Israel. Okay, that would be great. The last time I was in Israel was 2018. And I'm, when, you know, when the pandemic clears, I'll come again. We, we love it. We visited, you know, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, the north, the south, Eilat, the Galilee area, you know, Tiberias, Safad. I mean, we went, we went all over some, on three different trips and we absolutely love it. So we'll be back. But I hope you come to New York soon. Yeah, and I want to do one of your uh, things with the coffee and the writing. Oh, that would be great. Okay. And I want, to, I want to do a thing with you at the Metropolitan Museum. That would be amazing. Which Let's I definitely also, do that. Which I also love. Fantastic. We, that's going to be a Mel and Mel date. But, and, and, but I'm like, um, there's some nice Van Goghs in the museum. Yes. And I'm uh, more partial to them than Monet. Okay. You're not going to hold that against me, are you? We're going to visit it all. We're going to see it all. <laughs> Melissa Stoller, this has been incredible. It has been wonderful. Take care of, take care of yourself. Uh, tell mommy I want her on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm, sure, I'm going to, she'll watch and she'll definitely comment and she'll come on anytime. <laughs> but it's been such a pleasure. I'll, I'll bring the peanuts. Okay. She'll bring the bagels. <laughs> oh, I love bagels. Me too. <laughs> it's, it's incredible meeting you, and thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Mel. It's and been a joy uh, to talk with you. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Let's, let, let's hope that your new book uh, goes to PJ Library. Thank you. And let's hope that in 2021, we both find agents Cheers and make a, book sale, make a book sale to Random House or one of those guys. Cheers to that. Okay, dear. you. High five. Thank you so much, Mel. Cheers to that. And it has been a pleasure. Mel to Bye. Mel. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Bye.